All right, let's pray together. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for uh, the time that we've already had to worship you. Lord, truly, there is no one higher than you. And uh, we're just reminded of that today as we come into your presence, Lord. And so many of us, I know, have had uh, some challenging things happen to us this past week. Um, Lord, where we have truly been in uh, your training camp. Lord, we don't know, uh, Father, if you're preparing us for things greater than what are happening in our lives, Lord, or you're just walking us through difficult moments or trials or testings or whatever may be going on in our lives, Lord. But I know that today's message is for someone in this place. And I pray, Father, that you would speak to all of us. So, Lord, with our hearts bowed before you, Lord, our, our, our minds open to listen to what you have to say, I pray that you'll speak to us in a loud, uh, powerful voice through your word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, last week we started a brand new series called Warrior, a study of the life of the Old Testament king by the name of David, Israel's greatest king. And if you remember from what we said last week, God called him a man after his own heart. And we called him, we called him a warrior. And here's how we defined the phrase or the word warrior. We said a warrior is someone who is passionately seeking after the heart of God so that they may be used for his purposes and his glory. A man, a woman, a student, a young adult, a child, someone who is seeking after the heart of God so that they may be used for his purposes and his glory. Well, when we left our study last week, David was uh, a young man and he was standing in front of the prophet Samuel. He had anointing oil dripping down his face. And as you remember, David had just been chosen to be uh, the, the next king of Israel. He had been God's hand-selected man. And Samuel, the prophet, was God's chosen messenger to deliver uh, God's good news to David. This was the warrior's calling. God called David out for his purposes and his glory because he was someone who was a passionate seeker after the heart of God. And as we said last week, God is still, he is still calling out warriors. He's still looking for men and women and young adults and single people and children and students who uh, are willing to seek after the heart of God so that they may be used in this day and time for his purpose and purposes and his glory. Well, this morning, I want to, kn- I want you to know that part of God's plan to raise up warriors involves training and training as we're going to see this morning is oftentimes the hardest part of the journey of being a warrior. Uh, many of you have been through times of training. Some of you may be going through what you would perceive right now to be you're in, in God's training camp, in God's boot camp, and you're going, Lord, when's this going to end? But here's what I've learned. And I've, several people have been credited with this quote, by the way. Some of you have given me this name of this person this way. Several people have been credited with this. God doesn't call the equipped. God equips the called. God doesn't, God doesn't call the equipped. God equips the called. And every one of us in this room have been called. I don't care, and I can't tell you exactly what specific ministry you've been called to serve in or, or, or what you're supposed to be doing with your life at this moment, but I can tell you this, that when God calls you out for his purposes and for his glory, part of his training regimen is to equip you for whatever it is that he has called you to do. And you'll find that in Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 through 21. I also want to remind you that not only will he equip us, but according to 2 Chronicles 16, 9, He will strengthen the hearts of those who are fully committed to him. As God is training you, as he is is equipping you, he is also strengthening 
strengthening you to, to, to allow you to face whatever it is that's going to come your way. And as we're going to see in just a moment, before David, King David, could ultimately become the king of Israel, God had to put him through a season of training so that he could equip him and prepare him and strengthen him for what he had called him to do. Now, just as a reminder of what took place when David was anointed to be king, I want us to turn in our Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel chapter 16. In verse 13 of that chapter, we are told that after Samuel took oil and anointed David to be God's chosen king, something very interesting happened to David. The Bible says that the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. The Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. Now, there's an interesting little piece of theology that is taking place in this passage of Scripture, and I want to just stop for just a brief moment and explain this. Before the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, which is in Acts chapter 2, and we we studied a few weeks ago the, the, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God never permanently rested on any believer except for two people. One of them was King David, the other was John the Baptist. The Spirit would, in the Old Testament, the Spirit would come upon someone for a temporary period of strengthening or insight, and then whenever he would choose to, he would depart from that person. However, all of that changed in Acts chapter 2, and again, we talked about this a few weeks ago in our Holy Spirit series. Since the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost in Acts 2, when he comes into the life of a, of a sinner at the moment of salvation, he never leaves. He comes and he baptizes us to be part of the body of Christ. And we remain sealed in Christ from that time forward. Our bodies actually become temples of the Holy Spirit of God in which the Holy Spirit lives. And that is such a cool thought, isn't it? So when the Holy Spirit came on David, he experienced something that no one else had ever experienced before. The permanent presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, our old friend, who we were introduced to last week, King Saul, he wasn't quite as fortunate, was he? We see in verse 14 something very differently happening to him. It says, Now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. And Saul's servant said to him, Behold now, a harmful spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is skillful in playing the lyre, the harp. And when, a harmful, when the harmful spirit from God is upon you, he will play it and you will be well. So Saul said to his servants, provide for me a man who can play well and bring him to me. One of the young men answered, behold, I have seen the son of Jesse the Bethlehemite who is skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. So the Spirit of God leaves Saul, and to fill the void in his life, God sends an evil spirit into Saul's life to torment him. Now, we don't know why God would do that outside of the fact that God was just simply disgusted with Saul. He had absolutely had enough of Saul's behavior. Now, some of you may be thinking right now, oh my gosh, What if God gets disgusted with me and sends an evil spirit into my life to torment me? 
Well, again, listen, if you have repented of your sins and you have received God's free gift of salvation, you don't need to be worried about being possessed with an evil spirit. Followers of Jesus Christ, true followers of Jesus Christ, cannot be possessed with an evil spirit. But you have Saul here now who is now void of the Holy Spirit, and he is now jacked up with an evil spirit. Here's a guy who is in bad, bad shape. And the strange thing about Saul's evil spirit condition was there was only one thing that would serve as a remedy. It was music. And it wasn't like a guitar. It wasn't piano. Saul didn't need more cowbell. What Saul needed, some of you have never seen Saturday Night Live, have you? So what Saul needed was a harp. Saul, Saul loved to hear the harp play. And who played the harp? Well, the guy who was anointed to be the new king, King David. But what was going on in David's life at this very moment? Well, he was enrolled in God's school of warrior training. And that's where we're going to jump into our outline this morning. How did, how did God train David to be a warrior? Well, first, he trained him in solitude. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 19, it says, Therefore Saul sent his messengers to Jesse and said, Send me David, your son, who is with the sheep. Now, I think this is a very interesting little passage of Scripture, and I I, I don't want you to miss this. After Samuel anointed David to be king, where did David go? Well, he went back to be a shepherd somewhere in a field on a hillside outside of Bethlehem. Think about that for a moment. Think about that. One minute you're standing in front of your fathers and your brothers being filled with God's Holy Spirit, being anointed to be the king of Israel by God's prophet, and the next minute you're back out in the fields hanging out watching over sheep. But it was on that lonely hill, it was on the lonely hills of Judea with a flock of sheep to be his companions that God was, God had David in his classroom teaching him some of the most valuable basic lessons that David needed to know. David learned, it's out there that David learned how to be alone with God and with himself. It was out there in solitude that David learned how to turn off all of the distractions and and the noise of others so that he could clearly hear the voice of God. It was out there in in solitude where David learned how to to worship the Lord. It It was where David learned how to be at peace with himself. Listen, you simply cannot put a value on the kinds of lessons that David learned out in the, 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 the field with sheep where he was out there in solitude with God. I mean, those lessons were just simply priceless. And I think personally that solitude is almost a lost discipline in our culture. Think about this for a moment. How many of us constantly have to have friends around us for things to be okay with us? How many of us have to have an electronic device in our hands all of the time, constantly refreshing something for us to feel like we're at peace within ourselves? How many of us have to have a TV? Okay, ready, guys? How many of us have to have a TV playing in the background, not even watching it, but a TV playing in the background all the time for us to feel like everything's well in our home? Or, or we have to be involved in some kind of activity all the time for us to feel like things are normal. Well, if that's the case, first of all, that's not healthy. And the second thing, and it's not God's, God's idea of normal. Think about Jesus for a moment. Before Jesus ever went into his earthly ministry here on earth, he would get up early in the morning and he would go into a very solitary place and he would spend time with his father. In the Gospels, we see Jesus slipping off to an isolated place after a, a busy day of ministry just so that he could be alone with God. 
We see him going up into the mountains by himself from time to time just to pray, just so that he could be alone. Sometimes he would go into the mountains to pray all night. We see him getting into a boat to to get away from the crowd so that he could just be by himself. If Jesus saw value and needed time alone with the Lord, just think of how much we need time like that, just to find intimacy with God. All of us in this room, we need consistent time where we are just sitting in God's presence alone, away from friends, away from electronic devices, disconnected from social media, with all of the noise of the world turned off, where we are just listening to God's voice, learning how to walk intimately with Him, letting God develop our inner life. I like this word from Chuck Swindoll. He said, David needed to learn life's major lessons all alone before he could be trusted with responsibilities, with the responsibilities and the rewards before the public. So, so we don't need to fear times of solitudes. And I know that there's a lot of folks, I mean, you fear time alone. You don't, you do not like to be by yourself, but we don't need to fear those times of solitude when God chooses to shut us off from the rest of the world or even from others so that we can just focus on being in his presence or we can just focus on being with him. And because it's in those times of solitude that oftentimes God is training us and preparing us for greater things. The second thing that God did, the second part of God's training school for David was he trained him in obscurity. Look at verse 21. And David came into Saul's presence and he entered into his service. And Saul loved him greatly and he became his armor bearer. And Saul sent to Jesse and saying, let David remain in my service for he has found favor in my sight. And whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the lyre, the harp, And he played it with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the harmful spirit departed from him. I want you to think about the scenario for just a moment. David, the new king, who is full of the Holy Spirit and the anointing of God, and who is now in obscurity, sitting in Saul's presence, is now the servant bodyguard, the armor bearer, and the harp player for Saul, the departing king who is now not only void of the Holy Spirit and God's anointing, but he's also being tormented by an evil spirit. When I look at this, I think this says so much about David's character. It says so much about his just simple dependence on God's plan for his life. Before David could ever sit on the throne and rule the nation of Israel, he would first have to spend hours, countless hours, just simply being unknown, unseen, underappreciated, unapplauded first out in a pasture with sheep, and then very humbly serving the man that he had already been chosen to replace. You see, I think there's a training pattern that we see that just takes place throughout the Bible. God always trains his people in private before he uses them in public. Think about this. Before Elisha could be God's prophet, he had to first serve in the shadow of the prophet Elijah. Before Moses was ready to lead Israel, he spent 40 years on the side of the mountain serving under his father-in-law as a shepherd. Before Jesus ever presented himself as Messiah and the Savior of the world, he spent most of his life in Nazareth in total obscurity. Where is character built? Character is built in the training grounds of obscurity. And some of you in this room this afternoon or this morning, you may have big dreams. Maybe you're thinking, God, I want you to use me greatly. Maybe you're looking at someone else and saying, Lord, I just wish I could be used like they're being used right now. I wish I could serve in the same capacity that they're serving right now. Listen, God knows where we are and in his time, he will use us when and where to the extent he chooses. 
Here's my challenge. Whether God uses you in public or not, make sure that whatever you do, you do it to make sure that God is getting all the glory. Another Chuck Swindoll favorite quote of mine is, those who first accept the silence of obscurity are best qualified to handle the applause of popularity. Those who are first, who first accept the silence of obscurity are best qualified to handle the applause of popularity. The third thing that we see is that, that God trained David through testing. So we get into chapter 17, and we're not going to spend a whole lot of time here because I don't want to jump ahead too far in our story, but we find Saul out on the battlefield. The big, muscular, tall, handsome king out on the battlefield, and he is scared to death, and knees are knocking, and he's hiding from a nine-foot giant by the name of Goliath. Now, some of you may be thinking, I would have been scared to death, knees knocking, standing out there, peeing my pants, standing in front of Goliath as well. Well, listen, if you are indwelt and filled with the Holy Spirit, then you don't need to be afraid of the enemies of God because Romans 8, chapter, uh, 8.31 says, if God is for us, then what? No one can be against us. David, full of the Holy Spirit, full of God's confidence, here he is, he's standing next to Saul, and he's saying, listen, let, let's go whip this giant. Here's Saul hiding in his tent, and David's going, come on, king, let's go take this guy on. He is nothing in front of God. He is, we're, we're God's army, we're God's chosen people. And Saul completely emptied the Holy Spirit's power, says in fear, who in the world are you, David? Who in the world are you to think that you could fight this Philistine? You're just a kid. Verse 34, chapter 17, it says, But David said to Saul, Your servant, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him. And I struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard. And I struck him and I killed him. In other words, before David could ever go out and fight a giant, before he could ever be a king, God tested his courage out in the pasture with sheep when no one else was watching. When a lion or a bear came along to try to snatch a sheep, David rose to the challenge and he defeated both of them. Before Jesus ever started his earthly ministry, God led him out into the wilderness where he was tested by Satan. Satan tempted him with pride, with pleasure, and with power. And each time Jesus courageously just threw God's word right back in Satan's face and stood up to the challenge. Some of you are going through testing right now. You may be, your marriage may be being tested. Your, your, your parenting may be being tested. Your friendships may be being tested. You just, you, you may be just being tempted by something. And you are struggling going through a season of testing. Something's going on in your job right now that you're just going through, and it's just wearing you out. Listen, here's what the Bible says about what you're going through in James chapter 1. It says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow, so let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect, complete, needing nothing. So if you are going through a season of testing, listen, I want you to know God is training you to be a warrior. God is developing your endurance. He's developing your patience. He is developing your character. Because he wants you to be complete, lacking nothing, except for finding all that you need in him alone. And then he trained him through trials. This is such a big part of David's story. After David defeats Goliath, and we'll dive into that story in a few weeks, Saul makes him the commander of his army. 
And as the army of Israel is heading back from the battlefield, they are, mar- they are marching from town to town to town to get back to Jerusalem. And as they're marching through these towns, the Bible says that women are coming out and they are celebrating with tambourines and they are dancing and they are chanting these words. Saul has struck down thousands, but David his ten thousands. Now you can tell what's going to happen in this story, can't you? Here's Saul marching back with his army. David's right alongside of him serving as his commander. And the Bible says in verse 8, and Saul was very angry. And this saying displeased him, and he said, They have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed thousands. And what more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. Now from this point on, until you get in, until we get into 2 Samuel chapter 2, Saul completely goes off the rail. This evil spirit is just tormenting him to a whole nother level. And he gets filled up with jealousy, he gets filled up with rage, and he tries to kill David. And what does David do? Well now David is going into hiding. And we're going to see throughout this whole, the next passages of Scripture, David is hiding in caves. He's hiding out with the Philistines. He actually has two opportunities to kill Saul, but he refuses to kill him because in David's mind, Saul is still God's anointed king. Listen, imagine for just a moment going from being beloved heart player to bodyguard to commander of the army to now you're a fugitive. And that's what David became. Saul became completely obsessed with David and wanted him dead. You've heard me say this before. Trials are part of our spiritual journey, but they're also part of the training. And in my opinion, it's probably the toughest part, especially if you're watching people that you love go through trials. I remember you've heard me tell this story before if you've been at Westridge long enough. Back in 1980, four years after my dad had come to Christ, uh, my parents and, and our family, we moved from, from Detroit, right outside Detroit, Michigan to Arlington, Texas, so my dad could go to Bible college. My dad had, uh, we had owned flower shops in our family. There were, at one point, I think there were five of them in our, in our whole family together. My dad was a, a draftsman by trade and worked for Massey Ferguson and Ford Motor Company and different places like that. And here we moved to Texas and my dad goes into uh, trying to find jobs. And a draftsman in Detroit, Michigan, when you're a union worker, you make a lot of money. When you have a flower shop, you've got all this stuff going on. You go down to a place where there's not a lot of unions, and it's pretty much a minimum wage job. And eventually, my dad settled into. I remember this working in a in a bubble wrap factory. You know, remember those? You remember you get pack. You know, how you get packages and you got the bubbles and you sit there. My dad used to make those. And I remember as a high school student watching him work more than 40 hours a week, just trying to put food on our table, going to school, Bible college full time, and just watching the struggle that he and my mom went through. And then in, in 1983, after I graduated from high school, he, our family moved to South Florida, uh, Boynton Beach, Florida, and my dad planted his first church. And within a year's time, the church absolutely failed, and it was one of the toughest things I've ever seen my parents go through. I won't go into all the details of what they went through down there, but it was one of the most challenging years that we had ever been through as a family. My parents moved back to Texas, and from 1984 to the summer of 1985, my dad sold appliances in an appliance store. And I remember for him, I mean, it was humbling, it was tough, and to make things work, my parents had a friend who knowingly sold them a house in Texas that had a bad foundation. They ended up losing, they ended up losing 20 years of equity trying to sell that house a, a year later. You say, what in the world was going on here? 
God was preparing my parents to plant another church in 1985 in a little town called Howell, Michigan that's still prevailing to this day. He was preparing, uh, he and my mom, to move here in 2001 so my dad could get our pastoral uh, care ministry off the ground. I don't know who said this, but I like this. Life is about 10% of what happens to you and 90% about how you respond to it. And I believe that with all of my heart. And here's what stood out to me about my dad as he was going through those times of trials. He just kept moving forward. He just kept his head up. It was hard for, 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 for me to watch this. It was hard for my brother and I to watch my mom and my dad go through all of this. But I just remember my dad just simply just leading our family by faith. And he just stayed steady through all of it. I don't remember these huge emotional highs or low, low lows at all with him. It was just God's in control. God's in control. If you knew my dad, he was just real steady and he just made you have this, just, you, just being in his presence, you just had this feeling like, yep, life is terrible, but according to this guy, God's in control. Let me give you a quote that I'm extremely fond of, but I've had, just found to be very true in my life. God cannot use a man or a woman greatly until he wounds them deeply. Now I want you to know I hate that quote. I hate it. It's from A.W. Tozier. God cannot use a man or a woman greatly until he wounds them deeply. And I've watched people over the years, my dad, my mom, other people that I've watched God use in, in great ways. Some people who may, their names never, you know, make the headlines or anything like that. But God uses them deeply. He uses them greatly. But you'll, if you go back far enough, you'll notice that somewhere in their past, God had to wound them deeply. He was taking them through his training to prepare them for something to be to do for his glory and for his purposes. So what do we do? What do we do when we find ourselves in God's training camp? When we find ourselves in that time of solitude, in that time of obscurity, in that time when we're going through testing, in that time when maybe we're just going through a trial, and some of you in this room this morning, you are in that training camp right now. You're going through a trial. You're, you're going through testing. You're, you feel like you've been hidden away in obscurity where underappreciated, unnoticed, people are unaware of all of the things you're doing. Or maybe you're just finding yourself very lonely in a time of solitude. Here's what you do. You stay faithful in the little things and in the lonely places of life. If you want to be a person that God uses in a mighty way, you must cultivate the habit of doing the little things well. The way you handle the small stuff, the way that you handle the small assignments, the way that you complete the task of, of just the, of what you do at home or in school or at work is just a, fl- a reflection of whether or not you are ready to be a warrior, whether you're warrior material. The biggest part of my calling is not how well I do in public on Sunday mornings. This what I do right now, this is not the biggest part of my calling. It's, it, what ha- it's what happens in my life Monday through Saturday. Am I putting in the hours of study to prepare for this moment that I'm, that I'm, you know, having with you right now? Am, am I meeting with God in prayer and Bible reading? Am I, am I treating my wife and my children the right way? Am I leading this church with honesty and integrity? You see, who I am all week long, not, not when I'm on this stage in front of you, that's, that, that's what proves whether I'm passing God's warrior training program. That's the true test right there. What you don't see about me. And that's what God is doing in our lives. When he's training us, and this is what we need to be doing when we find ours, when we're being trained. We just stay faithful in the little things, and we stay faithful when we find ourselves in lonely places. The second thing is, listen, and, and take this to heart, don't shortchange the training process because God is never in a hurry. 
God's never in a hurry. Alan Redpath, the late pastor of Moody Church in Chicago, put it this way. He said, the conversion of a soul is the miracle of a moment, but the manufacture of a saint is the task of a lifetime. The, 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 the conversion of a soul is a miracle of the moment, but, a, but the manufacture of a saint is a task of a lifetime. See, when God is developing a warrior, when he's developing character, when he's developing servant leadership in your life, when he's developing humility, when he's working, when he's doing all of this stuff, listen, he's working on it through a lifetime, and he's never in a hurry. He's never in a hurry. He doesn't have a place where he microwaves warriors. And that's a challenge for some of us, isn't it? Because we live in a fast food microwave habit now society. Sometimes we're not willing to wait on God when we're in a season of solitude or in a season of obscurity or in a season of testing or even a season of trial. We want to rush the process when oftentimes God says, listen, wait right here. Stay in this season until I move, until I say to you, move. Where do most of failures in life come from? Where do the most failures occur? During the seasons of waiting. You could just think through examples in the Bible. When Abraham and Sarah had been promised a child from God, they're waiting for a son for years and years and years and years. What did they do? They shortchanged the process. And they had a little boy named Ishmael. Abraham with his handmaiden, Sarah's handmaiden, Hagar. And as a result, Ishmael went off and now we have we're still paying, we're still living that out. You have Muslims, you have Christians, you have Jews. When Israel, the Israelites, when, when Moses went up into the mountain in Mount Sinai to get the, the Ten Commandments, the, the Israelites, I mean, for 40 days, they got tired of waiting, and so what did they do? They, they, they made a golden calf and began to worship that calf. Moses got so mad, he broke it and went up and had to get two, another, another, another set of tablets. Saul did not wait for Samuel. We talked about that last week, and he decided to take on the role of priest. And as a result of that, he lost the hand of God on his life. Listen, when God is up to something, oftentimes it involves waiting. And sometimes that season of waiting can be extremely painful, especially if you're stubborn and bullheaded like I am. God promised Noah a flood, and it didn't rain for how many years? About 120 years. After Joseph was wrongly accused of trying to sexually assault Potiphar's wife, he spent two years in prison, completely forgotten about and left to die. Jacob had been promised a wife, and what happened? He had to wait 14 years before he got the one he wanted. What is God doing in the season of waiting? What is God doing when we find ourselves in in that moment where we're just stuck waiting? Here's what he's doing. He's strengthening our confidence in him. He's developing character in our lives. He's giving us wisdom and knowledge that we didn't have before. He's, he's sharpening our abilities and our gifts. He's taken off some of the rough edges. Many of you know that before I, after I got out of college, um, I started seminary in Virginia. And then within a, a, after a semester, I moved to New Jersey. And I was, I was there for three years. Going to seminary in Philadelphia, living in New Jersey as a student pastor. And here's what I tell people about that time in my life. God had to pull me out of where I was in Virginia and put me in Jersey to take off the rough, rough edges of my life. Can you imagine that? God putting you in Jersey to take the rough edges off of your life? But that's exactly what he had to do in my life. See, waiting is part of God's design. It's part of his plan. It's no accident. So when you find yourself in a season of waiting, don't shortchange the process. 
Don't lose sight of God while you're waiting. He hasn't left you. He hasn't forgotten you. He's not mad at you. He there, he's there developing you. He's strengthening you. He's sharpening you. Sometimes in the midst of it, what is he doing? He's just holding you. He may be calling you to something and waiting for you to say yes. He may be preparing you for the next assignment. When God's plan is for you to wait, be sure, be assured that he will make it all worth the wait. When God's plan is simply for you to wait, be assured that he will make it all worth the wait. Listen, don't miss this. And this is, we don't think about this often. How long was it from the time that David was anointed to be king before he actually sat on the throne? 20 years. And what was he doing during those 20 years? Most of the time, for more than 15 of them, he was running from Saul, hiding in caves, fighting people. I mean, he just, he was, 20 years he had to wait before he actually sat on the throne. The third thing to do when you find yourself in God's waiting process is just keep pounding the rock. Just keep pounding the rock. While David was waiting on God to become king, listen, he did a lot of running for his life, but he was doing some other things. First Samuel chapter 23, he protected the town of Calah from the Philistines. He protected the, the, the land of Judah by, by destroying the Amalekites. He wrote several beautiful psalms that we still enjoy today, that speak to our hearts today. He spent hours in prayer. He actually got married three times while he was waiting on God. I don't recommend that, by the way. When... When you are in God's warrior training camp and maybe you're not exactly sure what you're supposed to be doing, here's what you do. You just keep doing what you know to do. You just keep being faithful. You just keep praying. You just keep your, keep your mind in God's word. You just keep, you keep your face in the book. You stay connected to others. You stay connected in a small group of people who can support you and walk through with that time with you. You keep serving for some of you, you know, maybe serving in obscurity is just driving a bus or, or serving in the preschool area or, or parking people out here in the parking lot. Listen, none of that's little stuff. That's all huge to this church. But you just keep pounding the rock. You just keep pounding the rock. As you guys know, uh, I have two sons in my house who have both been athletes. And I have a son who, my youngest son, who has been injured for the last year and a half. And I have an older son who's in college playing baseball, and they both are late bloomers. And we've had this little phrase in my house over the last several years, just keep pounding the rock, just keep pounding the rock. And a few, last year, um, Amy got me something amazing for my birthday. It was a wall hanging that was made by um, a family in our church, the Reagan family. And I want to read to you. This hangs in my house, by the way. And it's just a reminder. When you come in my house, you'll see this hanging on the wall. It's just a reminder. And it says this, when nothing seems to help, I go and look at a stone cutter hammering away at this rock, perhaps a hundred times without as much as a crack showing in it. Yet at the hundred and first blow, it will split in two. And I know it was not that blow that did it, but all that had gone before. You see, when you find yourself in a season of you're in God's training process or you're in solitude, obscurity, or going through testing or trial, what do you do? You just keep doing what you know to do until God moves. That's what you do. You keep pounding the rock. Number four, you just have complete confidence in God's timing, His plan, and His purpose for your life. 
I want you to listen to David's career history. He was a shepherd. He was a harpist. He was an armor bearer, a bodyguard for Saul. He was a personal assistant for Saul. He was commander. He was captain. Then he was a fugitive. And then he was king. And while all that was going on, I love some of the things that David wrote. In Psalm chapter 9, verse 10, he says, And those who know your name put their trust in you, for you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. For some of you, that, that's a great verse to claim this week. Lord, and those who know your name put their trust in you, for you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. I love the simplicity of these words that David wrote in Psalm chapter 31. He said, Lord, I trust you. I just trust you. Why? Because you're my God. Don't you love that? Some of you are in a season of waiting. Some of you are in God's training process this morning. Maybe it's a season of solitude. You're so alone right now. God has pulled you out and put you alone. For some of you, it's obscurity. Unknown, feeling underappreciated. People are unaware of all that you're doing. You feel undervalued. Maybe for some of you, it's a season of testing. I don't know what that looks like for you. Maybe that testing has turned into a season of trial. I mean, you are in the midst of a deep, dark trial in your life. Listen, stay faithful. Stay faithful in God's timing. Stay faithful. Have confidence in God's plan. Just keep doing the little things that you know to do. Even when you're in, you find yourself in lonely places, just keep pounding the rock. Just keep pounding the rock. Do the things you know to do. Don't shortchange the process. God's never in a hurry. What's he doing? He's building warriors. He's looking for people who will passionately seek him so that it may be used for his purposes and for his glory. And when you get to the end of your rope of all of that, you just here's what you just say, God, I just trust you because you, you are my God. That's all you need to say. And God knows. God knows right where you are. Let's bow our heads. Lord, it's these moments of training that are so difficult for some of us, especially when we're maybe watching people that we love go through a season of training, a season of solitude, a season of obscurity, a season of testing, a season of trials. In those moments, Lord, may we just be faithful in the little things and in the lonely places. May we not shortchange the process, realizing, Father, that you are at work building, developing, molding, scraping. You're not in a hurry. And at the same time, Father, may we just keep pounding the rock, doing the little things that we know to do, just praying, seeking your face, coming back to you, even when we can't see you, Lord, even when we don't know Lord, exactly what you're doing, Father, may we just stay faithful. And may we, Lord, as we do all of that, just have complete confidence in your timing, your plan, and your purpose for our lives, Lord. You never waste a trial. You never waste a moment of testing. You never waste your moments of training, Father. Those who know your name put their trust in you. 
for you have not forsaken those who seek you. Lord, I don't know what anyone, everyone's going through in this room. I know what a few people are going through, but I pray today as we find ourselves, as some of us find ourselves, many of us find ourselves in your season of training, may we just simply say we trust you because you are our God. And may we continue to put our faith in you. There are parents in here who have kids who are struggling. There's, there are uh, marriages in here that are struggling. There are people in here who are struggling in this season. May they continue just to walk with you. If you're here this morning, you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ to be your personal Savior. You've never taken a moment and repented of your sins. I want you to pray with me at this moment. Say, Lord Jesus, at this very moment, I put all my faith and all my trust in you. place my life in your hands. What Jesus did for me on the cross was enough to save me of all of my sins, to forgive me and cleanse me. Lord, right now I need cleansing. So I repent of my sins and I put all my faith and trust in Jesus to be my personal Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name.